Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Minority Republicans in the New York State Legislature are proposing legislation meant to curb what they call an unsustainable influx of migrants in the country illegally. The Legislative Gazette's Samantha Simmons reports. Sponsored by Staten Island Senator Andrew Lanza and Assemblymember Jarrett Gandolfo of Suffolk County, the legislation would require law enforcement agencies to cooperate with federal immigration officials on the arrest or conviction of non-citizens. Promoting the bill at the Capitol Tuesday, the Republicans say a 2017 executive order by then-Governor Andrew Cuomo, which designated New York as a sanctuary state, put law enforcement in a bind, limiting coordination with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Gandolfo is from the 7th District. It goes further to repeal the provisions of the 2019 Protect Our Courts Act, which prevents ICE officers from making arrests at courthouses throughout the states. So again, what we've seen is that we're not only encouraging any illegal immigrant to come to New York, we're encouraging people who have criminal intent to come here because they know our criminal justice system is a joke. Gandolfo says the legislation would also reinstate a 365-day maximum sentence for Class A misdemeanors, restoring the deportation of potentially dangerous migrants. Immigration is shaping up to be a key issue of this year's legislative session. Governor Kathy Hochul and fellow Democrats who control the legislature are proposing billions of dollars in the budget to deal with the migrant arrivals. Lanza says it stems from President Biden's border policy. The senator says crime rates are on the rise as migrants and asylum seekers flood New York and claims law enforcement officers have been directed to ignore reports of human trafficking, robberies, and violent crime. They're putting people from around the world above the citizens that they have sworn to serve. Senate Republican leader Rob Ort says policies emanating from the State House have interfered with law enforcement. It actually turns it around on local law enforcement and makes them the criminal for doing their job. I can't, someone said that, would, that was corruption. I would even go so far as to say it's treasonous. Ort says policies like the green light law, which allow anyone, regardless of immigration status, to apply for a driver's license are to blame. New York will intentionally shield these individuals from federal immigration law, even though at that point their asylum claim is rejected. That's why people come here. These folks are, they're not dumb. They know where they want to go. They know they'll be protected. They know they're going to be offered jobs. They know we're going to be offered benefits. That's why they're coming here. Governor Hochul recently made it easier for asylum seekers with work authorizations to work public sector jobs. Dismissing any potential increases in costs related to extending maximum sentencing for misdemeanors and reporting to ICE, Ort says majority Democrats are penny-pinching in the wrong areas. I'm sure enforcing all the laws are challenging for our law enforcement. I'm sure it costs more money to prosecute bad people. I'm sure it costs more money to have police officers running around arresting people. But we do it because it keeps people safe. And, if, if, and there's no way that my colleagues across the aisle, as they're contemplating a $232 billion budget, there's no way that this was suddenly an epiphany. Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay says the state's existing policies, including the sanctuary designation, weren't passed in good faith. 
The Republican from Western New York says this proposal is meant to protect residents and their jobs. They're not silver bullets. They're not going to completely solve these problems, but they're the right direction that we should be moving in. First, track and report all state spending that we're spending on this crisis. Require background checks on migrants and illegal asylum seekers. How about not allowing migrant shelters to go into daycares or schools? The budget is due April 1st. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Samantha Simmons. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. This week I sat down with Blair Horner, executive director of the New York Public Interest Research Group, or NYPIRG. I began by asking Blair about a column he wrote recently that suggested the state is failing citizens when it comes to cancer. Well, two weeks ago, I guess, was World Cancer Day. And the idea of World Cancer Day is really to focus global attention on the problem of cancer. Uh, cancer is, as everyone knows, you know, not just one type of a disease. It can affect any different kind of organ. It can attack the body in different kinds of ways. Uh, but the, not surprisingly, the leading killer is the uh, use of uh, tobacco products, typically cigarette smoking. And the World Health Organization uh, issued a report that showed that there's been a climb in lung cancer deaths, particularly in Asia, as a result of more and more smoking. In New York, um, uh, New York State has something called a tobacco control program at the health department, and their job uh, is to follow best practices issued by the federal government to develop a tobacco control program that attacks the problem in New York, uh, because in New York, just like the rest of the world, the leading cancer killer of men and women uh, is lung cancer uh, from basically, by and large, 80 to 90 percent of it is from uh, exposure to cigarette smoke. And so the failure is that since the basically the first year of the Cuomo administration, the state has slashed the state slashed its funding for tobacco control far, far less than the CDC recommends New York State should spend. And my column was about how much money the state collects from smokers, uh, well over a billion dollars, uh, and they are starving. It's uh, the state's tobacco control program and Governor Hochul is following in the footsteps of her predecessor in not adequately funding the program. And so in that way, I mean, you know, it's an addiction. You have to have programs to help people quit, and New York State is starving that program. And then what does the definition of adequately mean? I mean, the governor has pulled in the reins a bit when it comes to spending money as a result of the deficit. But as you said, the devil's in the details here. What does adequately mean, Blair, in your mind? Well, it's not in my mind. The Centers for Disease Control issue a report, and they give states a range for how much they should spend. Uh, in New York, it's no less than $142 million, and they recommend as much as a little over $200 million annually. And as I mentioned earlier, the state collects far more than a billion dollars or has collected far more than a billion dollars annually uh, from uh, uh, smokers through taxes and litigation settlements. So the state has the money. Uh, but New York spends around $40 million on its tobacco control efforts, far less than the CD recommends, mm -hmm. uh, and has never, never met the CDC minimum recommendation. The closest they ever came is during the Spitzer administration, which uh, raised the uh, spending on the program to nearly $90 million. So 
Under Spitzer, the state was getting close. Uh, when Governor Cuomo came in, he slashed funding for the program, and Hochul's kept it more or less at the same level. Why, Blair? That's the question. Why? Are they using the money for other things? Why not take the recommendations and fulfill them? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. The state is going to spend upwards past $233 billion this year, so it's not like they don't have the money. And as I mentioned, they're collecting money from smokers. Um, and the, it would make sense to invest the money to help smokers to quit and to keep kids from starting. Basically, the only people that start smoking are 13 and 14-year-olds. And yet they don't. So the question is why? Well, my sense is that there's no organized entity that you know lobbies and makes campaign contributions that represents smokers uh, other than those who, that are fake, like uh, when the tobacco industry says they represent smokers, which they do in a certain weird and horrible way. Uh, but it's because there's the organized constituency doesn't really exist uh, that represent their interests. And I think the public doesn't know. I think lawmakers would rather spend the money on other programs. It's not like we don't bring it to their attention. We testify every year at the health hearing and we lay out the arguments as to why they should do it. It's not like they don't know. Uh, they choose not to. And the, the way that the executive bu- the budget's put together in New York is the state lawmakers work off of what the governor proposes, and this governor hasn't proposed it, uh, any significant increase or anything that meets nearly meets the levels of the CDC. Just FYI on this, uh, David, uh, the state has an annual independent audit of its own program, and every year they say the same thing that I'm saying right now. The state is starving spending on its tobacco control program. And as a result, you know, people that might otherwise quit suffer needlessly and sometimes have early debts. And it's just it simply isn't fair. The money's there and the state just refuses to spend it. That's Blair Horner, executive director of the New York Public Interest Research Group, or NYPIRG. to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The race is on to replace New York State Assemblywoman Pat Fahey of the 109th District, now running for state Senate. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Fahey is running to replace retiring 14-term Senator Neil Breslin in the 46th District. Fahey says she somewhat expected her assembly seat would trigger tremendous interest among fellow Democrats in Albany. Fahey, who has been in the assembly since 2013, says she's staying out of it. I'm uh, going to do what uh, my predecessor, Jack McEnany, did before me in 2012, and that is um, just uh, stay out of this for at this point. Um, I ran a six-way primary to uh, to win office uh, in 2012, and uh, was very grateful that Jack McEnany 
uh, stayed out of the, the race at the time because I, I might not be here otherwise. Candidates are beginning to emerge. Albany Common Councilor Awusu Anane, a Democrat from Ward 10, says his experience in Albany and as a public school teacher in North Greenbush qualifies him to become the first person of color to represent the district, which includes New Scotland, Albany, and parts of Gilderland. My background, particularly as a public school educator and a small business owner, and also a council member, I believe that this blend of experience uniquely equips me to understand the uh, complexity of our district and the impact state policy have on everyday lives. One of the things I want to do and several things I want to focus on is making sure that our region is more affordable, improving public safety, aiding our local government, and tackling the growing threat of climate change. And that's some of the issues that I would like to see addressed. I believe that as a party, as Democrats, we need more diversity in our state delegation. Never has a person of color represented Albany County in the state legislature. Dustin Reedy is serving his first term in the Albany County Legislature, representing the 30th District, which covers a portion of Gilderland. On the cusp of making his official campaign announcement, Reedy says he's poised to take the baton from Fahey. Pat has been a huge advocate uh, for issues like climate change, uh, supporting small businesses, and uh, you know her her vision to transform uh, 787, for example, uh, all of these things um, I will be taking up um, on the work that she is working on currently. Um, but you know there there are just there are many issues that affect everyone in the 109th district um, when it comes to finding. Uh, more creative solutions to get more affordable housing here in the district and and better access to to housing. Jobs and gun violence also rank high on Reedy's to-do list. 108th District Assembly member John McDonald has worked on issues side-by-side with Fahey for the past 12 years. He welcomes all who decide to run for her seat. It's not easy to put yourself out there. Um, You open yourself up for a great opportunity, but also an opportunity for people to take a closer look at you. And, you know, I wish all the candidates very well. It's going to be a very hotly contested race. Uh, I recall back 13 years ago when I ran for the assembly, I was fortunate it was only a two-person race, whereas Pat ran in the six-person race. And that's consistent with the many talented individuals uh, living in the city of Albany who are interested in that position and a few that are out. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Skidmore College and MLK Saratoga hosted members of Combatants for Peace to lead a discussion on the ongoing conflict in the Middle East with students and faculty this week. The Legislative Gazette's Aaron Shella Levine was there and filed this report. Combatants for Peace is an Israeli-Palestinian-led coalition of activists that has been pushing for a nonviolent two-state solution since 2006. Speaking on behalf of the group for the first time on an American college campus, Suleiman Khatib and Iris Gurr outlined their experiences, the creation of the organization, and took questions from audience members. Gurr, an Israeli, had lived most of her life without acknowledging the occupation of Palestine, but she says that changed when her daughter refused the country's mandatory military service and spent more than 100 days in prison. I was 52 years old when I met, for the first time in my life, a Palestinian person, Palestinian woman in this case. 
It means you can live your whole life in Israel without meeting a Palestinian person. Before I met her, I couldn't hear Arabic. I, I really, I was afraid from the language. Khatib was arrested when he was a teenager and spent more than 10 years in Israeli prisons after joining the Fatah youth movement. For him, Combatants for Peace has been about humanizing his enemies. The combatants for Peace represent like a vision, a holistic vision. Uh, a wider like kind of heart that can really show empathy to what we call the other will, without giving up your own pain. And, out of the belief, we don't need to be in competitive who's more victim, who's suffering more. I think this is a, a basically allowing people to be in their full truth. Protests have erupted on college campuses across the nation since October 7th, and Skidmore students recently passed a list of demands to President Mark Connor, including joining their calls for an immediate ceasefire and divestment from the Israeli economy. One audience question covered what the end of the occupation would mean for the guests. Everyone will have the right to do what they want, freedom to move around, and to feel safe. This is what I see, which is for me ending the occupation and the apartheid. And the day it will come will be the day that I, as an Israeli, I will be free also. I will be safe also. After the event, Skidmore student Justin Pollard was grateful for the evening's focus on productive communication across ideological lines. It's really easy to kind of like back yourself into a corner and feel like you have to connect with a certain group and uh, with so many atrocities happening on both sides, it's, it's really easy to, you know, kind of think about it and like sympathize with one side but when you look at it broader like you see that it's on both sides and they talked about it so much throughout that you know finding that peace finding that middle ground and having the conversations to really like inspire change and create change is how we as students and as members of the community like can really you know kind of bring the conflict uh, to a to a better place First-year student Sam Clyde was in the front row and said he was happy to have a space to discuss such a hot-button issue. As someone who has um, friends and family in Israel and friends who are Palestinian, I've had to have these tough conversations in these past couple months. Um, and I think I've been able to do that, but it is tough for many people. Um, and I think just creating spaces where those conversations can be had, um, you know, when it's, where it's not just sitting at the dining hall or the library um, or in the room, um, a place that you can really find people that just want to talk. Because something like this, you can't hold emotions, feelings, thoughts in with something so, um, you know, intricate. Nurchan Atalan Heleki co-teaches the course Citizenship and Conflict and said that the evening's focus on radical hope was inspiring. I was really impressed uh, too in terms of uh, the messages because uh, for um, Suleiman Qadri, uh, uh, the main message, the emphasis was on hope, uh, constantly on hope. Um, and for Iris, the message was also about like how it's difficult to achieve it, but at the same time, with enough number of people collectively working, it's possible to actually like, achieve something 
against all odds. There's more information on Combatants for Peace at WAMC.org. Reporting for the Southern Adirondack Bureau on the campus of Skidmore College, this is Aaron Shello-Levine. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. As counties lay out their proposals for the year, Ulster County Executive Jen Metzger talked about her priorities for 2024. Legislative Gazette's Jesse King has more. I'd like to thank Pastor Lewis for his moving invocation and especially for the moment of silence and remembrance of the four young people whose lives were recently very tragically cut short. The first term Democrats State of the County address at the Orpheum Theater in Socrates focused heavily on issues like housing, mental health and the environment. But she opened with road safety. Ulster County has seen multiple crashes and hit and run incidents over the past year, including a multi-car crash that killed two Kingston High School students in Shandaken in January. Metzger says the county will launch a public awareness campaign on distracted driving and advocate for potential design changes by the New York Department of Transportation. For county roads, we will update our 2009 complete streets policy to ensure we're doing all we can to protect the safety of pedestrians, cyclists, and drivers. The state DOT has already opened an investigation into whether the intersection in the Shandaken crash between routes 28 and 212 is safe. Metzger says the sheriff's office will also increase patrols around frequent accident sites. On housing, Metzger touted a move by the county legislature to create a housing action fund last year to promote the development of affordable housing. Long-term funding for the program, which was seeded with $15 million, still hasn't been worked out. Metzger has proposed setting aside 25% of the county's annual hotel occupancy tax revenue to keep it going, saying the short-term rental market has exacerbated the region's housing shortage. In Ulster County, approximately 2,600 homes have become short-term rentals. In Saugerties alone, it's about 450 homes. We must balance the pressures and the positives of short-term rentals if we want folks to live here. Metzger says about six municipalities, including Socrates, have joined the county's Housing Smart Communities program, placing a cap on their number of licensed short-term rentals. The county is in the process of publishing an online platform called Participate Ulster, where residents can view a dashboard tracking the number of short-term rentals in their area. Meantime, Metzger says about 42% of Ulster County residents currently spend more than half of their income on rent, and the number of people in need of emergency housing spiked last summer to more than 500 people. Metzger says the county will create a new housing and homelessness unit this year to provide individualized care for unhoused residents. Long term, she says combating the housing crisis will ultimately come down to zoning. That's the single biggest obstacle to getting supply aligned with demand. It's just this model of, you know, single home lots, you can't, I mean, you can't even have duplexes in, in most places. The city of Kingston replaced its zoning code with a form-based model last year and legalized the construction of accessory dwelling units on residential properties in a bid to increase housing. 
Metzger says the county is also ramping up its mental health efforts in response to a spike in crisis calls since 2020. The county lost 30 people to suicide in 2023, up 67% from the year before. Metzger says the Department of Mental Health has moved into its new Center for Well-Being in Kingston, and the walk-in site is expected to offer 24-7 crisis care starting later this year. But she notes meeting the county's needs will ultimately require an increase in staff. This is a problem everywhere um, of getting, of having enough worker, enough clinicians, enough therapists, enough pro, uh, mental health professionals. We have to think about how we can attract more workers. One thing that might help relieve stress is what Metzger is calling the nature bus. As early as this spring, Metzger says Ulster County Area Transit could expand service to popular hiking and tourism sites like Minnewaska State Park and Walkway Over the Hudson. She hopes the free service will make county parks and hiking trails more accessible to the roughly 7.5% of residents without a car. There's also a lot of young people. It gives kids some freedom, too, to go explore these outdoor places, which is really nice. Not mentioned in her speech, but hanging over the night was criticism over the administration's handling of sexual harassment allegations levied against former Human Rights Commissioner David Drimmer. Drimmer, who was also the former executive director of the Ulster County Jewish Federation, resigned shortly after two former employees filed a lawsuit publicizing their claims in August. That lawsuit is ongoing, but the legislature's Laws and Rules Committee has been calling on Metzger's office to provide more information as it weighs changes to county policy. Asked about the matter after her speech, Metzger agreed the county's sexual harassment policy needs to be updated to clarify her office's role and authority. It hasn't been updated uh, in many years, or at all, I don't believe, and really needs to be, um, because there have been, you know, there, there have been issues over the years, not just recently. This isn't a new thing. Metzger says she hopes her office and the legislature can work on an update to discuss at the legislature's meeting in March. Deputy County Executive Jamie Capuano took questions from the Laws and Rules Committee last week. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jesse King. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. We get help from the New York State Public News Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. Look for program number 2407. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino. Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, uupinfo.org.